Welcome to Capital Link's trending news podcast series. In this podcast series, we have the opportunity to discuss with company management on recent news and announcements they have made. I'm Nicholas Bornaldis, president of Capital Link, and we have today with us Mr. Max Peterzako, the CEO of Navigator Holdings. Our discussion will touch upon the company's Q1 2023 results recently announced, but will mainly focus on Navigator's development, strategy, and the LPG uh, sector outlook. A quick reminder that, uh, but the, the usual disclaimer that uh, these podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes. They do not constitute investment advice or advice of any kind, and Capital Link has no responsibility for them. And in terms of disclosure, we work with uh, Navigator Gas on investor relations. Uh, Navigator Holdings trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol NVGS. It is the owner and operator of the world's largest fleet of handy-sized liquefied gas carriers and a global leader in the seaborne transportation services of petrochemical gases such as ethylene and ethane, liquefied petroleum gas, and ammonia. And they have a, a fleet of 56 vessels. Furthermore, and we will be talking about that in a minute, uh, Navigator owns a 50% share through a joint venture in an ethylene export marine terminal at Morgan's Point, Texas, uh, on the Houston Ship Channel in the United States. So the company plays a vital role in the liquefied gas supply chain globally for energy companies, industrial consumers, and commodity traders providing essentially a floating pipeline between all these parties. So Max, welcome to our discussion today. As I mentioned, it will focus primarily on strategy, key issues related to fleet development, chartering, and so on, capital allocation, and uh, the uh, LPG sector outlook. Let's start with Q1. Uh, the results were announced on May 22nd. Uh, they were stronger than in previous quarters. We had revenues of 136 million, adjusted EBITDA of 69, and net income of 19 million. So these results were driven by an improvement of all metrics, such as higher TC rates and higher fleet utilization. So share with us what were the market characteristics in Q1? If there are any differences compared to the past, and uh, how is the market developing now? Thanks a lot, Nicholas, and thanks a lot for the opportunity to, to talk today. And I appreciate that. Um, it's, it, it was a Q2 that was a, a quite robust quarter. And, and we saw that robustness in all of our main segments. As you mentioned before, we do transport uh, petrochemicals, ammonia, and, and LPG. And we really saw strength in, in, in all three areas. Um, we've seen uh, China opening up after COVID. Uh, We've seen that the price differences for, for many of the cargoes or, or commodity types uh, between the price in the US and the price in Asia Europe, uh, that spread has been relatively high, allowing for an, an arbitrage where uh, the commodities are uh, transported long distance uh, out of US and to, to Asia Europe. So, so that has helped. That has given, uh, you could say, sufficient price difference to, to allow uh, the transportation. We saw our time charter rates reach uh, just over $25,000 per day. Uh, and that compares well to the just below $23,000 that we saw in uh, Q1 the year uh, before that. So, so a full 12% uh, increase 
uh, in the rates that we have been able to, to charge for the uh, shipping services. We also saw that the fleet utilization was uh, strong. It was uh, over 96%, which is quite unusual. And it compares, of course, very well to the 89.5% that we saw in Q1 2022. So uh, uh, much higher utilization of our ships. And of course, that means uh, day sailing uh, where uh, rates are, are paid for by the customers. Thank you. So it's, it's all top line driven by utilization and, and higher rates. Uh, we didn't see any surprises on, on the cost side. So, uh, so you could say it's this bottom line progress that feeds all the way down to, to the bottom line results. If we're turning to Q2, we have uh, guided to the market also that we expect to see a 90% utilization, a little bit lower than Q1, but still very robust in a, in a historical ton context, and also uh, at a level that allows us to, to maintain uh, relatively good rates. Um, there's, there's some inertia, so we still see uh, a, a repricing to, to higher levels of uh, of some of the renewals that we're doing during the quarter. Uh, so we continue to see an, an upward direction in our rates. Very good. So let's move now to uh, the fleet composition. Uh, as I mentioned in the opening remarks, uh, Navigator is the owner and operator of the world's largest fleet of handy-sized liquefied gas carriers. But for the benefit of our listeners who are a broader uh, investor audience, uh, who may not know the sector very well, can you please take us briefly through the differences in vessel sizes and trade routes? We have companies that focus on large gas carriers, you focus on the medium size, and other companies are focusing on smaller sizes. So what are the differences in basically in the trade routes amongst them? Yeah, no, our core fleet, as, as you mentioned, is in the handy size segment. So they are uh, on average, 20, 21,000 cubic meters of, of, of cargo capacity. Um, we also have so, uh, five, uh, five uh, mid-sized gas carriers and we have nine uh, smaller gas tankers. So you could say we have some bigger and some smaller uh, compared to the handies, but, but in essence, you should consider us a handy-sized gas carrier uh, company. So we are, we are in the middle. Uh, the good thing about our vessels is that they're relatively flexible. It means that they can transport both LPG, ammonia, uh, like the most of the, the larger uh, vessel sizes, but we can also carry the petrochemicals like ethylene. And to transport ethylene in liquid form, you need to cool them down uh, colder than most of the other commodities. Uh, so that means that our ships are specially built to, to carry this extra uh, cool petrochemicals uh, uh, cargo and and that that a lot of the larger ships cannot do and that means we have this flexibility that we can move to another segment so to speak that if the ammonia market is is not as strong well then we can transport instead uh, ethylene for instance or we can transport LPG so that flexibility uh, is is not seen in 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 the larger uh, vessel size categories uh, we're trading globally uh, most of the cargoes we are carrying out of Houston to Asia and to Europe. But if you take a look at a map, a global map, uh, just today, you will see that our 56 gas carriers are pretty much distributing uh, all over the world, in the Pacific, in the Atlantic. Uh, so uh, we, we, are, we are a global company. So if I can ask you, I mean, what I take from what you're saying is that um, these, the vessel sites we're dealing with, you operate, give you a lot of flexibility and versatility to move among different cargos. Exactly. Uh, 
And if I can ask you, how much of your business is, let's say, LPG related versus the other uh, gases? Pretty much, uh, you would see that 20% of our uh, cargoes lifted would be ammonia. And then you would see it's, it's evenly split the rest, uh, 40% between uh, uh, LPG and uh, petrochemicals. So, uh, but, but it does move up and down over time. For instance, ammonia is, is, has been bigger over the last uh, six, nine months than, than in the past. So, so that 20% used to be, be lower. And I think going forward, we'll probably see more ammonia because, uh, and we'll come back to that perhaps a little bit later, talk about the uh, outlook for the ammonia uh, segment. So, so it's going to, to change over time. And, and of course, we are very pleased that, that if, if one of the segments are uh, showing some, some weakness, we can instead deploy our, our vessels to, to the other uh, commodities. So let's move now to fleet renewal. I think this um, is a topic uh, throughout the industry, regardless of sectors, that uh, everybody's looking for newer, more eco, uh, fuel efficient uh, ships. Yes. So you have been quite active uh, disposing of older vessels, getting new vessels on board. So uh, you have added, I think, uh, quite a few uh, fuel efficient vessels through your JV with uh, Greater Bay gas. So can you take us a little bit through your fleet renewal strategy? I mean, your fleet overall is quite young. You have 9.9 .9 years of average age. Yeah, we, we're quite comfortable with that. We have a, a good mix of, of, of younger and, and older ships. And mind you, um, it's, it's also good for your return on capital employed that you have this good mix and also some more experienced vessels in your fleet. So, so we're quite comfortable with the composition that we have right now. What we continue to do, and, and you'll see that in, in the shipping sector in general, that you need to renew your fleet over time. And you, and you do that by selling some of the, the, the older vessels and, and they are typically being sold for, for regional trade, for coastal trade, uh, often in, in Asia or the Middle East. And those vessels are no longer uh, useful for us because uh, our uh, customers uh, require that that they are uh, relatively modern, the, the tonnage that they use. So, so some of them will have age requirements and, and, and some will um, prefer to have uh, more energy efficient younger vessels. So, so we need to, of course, make sure that our fleet uh, fits that. Um, so, so we do that by, by selling the older one and then, of course, also taking delivery of more modern tonnage. And since uh, January 22, we've sold four of our older vessels. The latest one was the Orion that we sold uh, just uh, within the, the past month for uh, just around $21 million, which was a, a reasonably good price for such an experienced lady. Um, we, uh, we do have a couple of more uh, ships that are of that vintage that were built in, in the year 2000. Uh, but we're not in a, in a big hurry to, to sell them. The, the market is, is still relatively, or is relatively good. And that means that we may be selling one of them this year or maybe two, but we're not in a, in, in a big hurry to do so. Uh, and we've also acquired some ships. Uh, as you mentioned, the joint venture with uh, Greater Bay, we have added five uh, efficient modern secondhand vessels. The last one was taken on in April 23, uh, ahead of the original plan. Um, and uh, we are looking around, uh, seeing if we can mop up or we can attract uh, more uh, accretive secondhand vessel purchases. So we are eager to uh, consolidate the sector further and to, to acquire uh, good tonnage. Um, today, the, the fleet is at 56 vessels, 9.9 .9 years, average size 21,000 cubic meters. So it's a, it's a very good composition that we have. 
you mentioned about the uh, JV you have with the greater uh, Bay Gas uh, Company. Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, this JV, what it is all about, uh, the doors that it opens to you in terms of new markets? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great JV. We are very pleased with it. We've been working together since the, right before 2020. Uh, the vessels were uh, put into commercial management in our Luna pool, we call it, where we pool our vessels with, with external vessels uh, at, at the time back in, in 2020. And, and now we have taken the, the ships uh, into ownership in our joint ownership, which is 60-40, so we own 60% and, and by and large uh, control the, the, the ships. So it has uh, developed over time, as you can hear, and, and we, we know the ships really well because we've commercially driven them for, for more than three years and uh, and they are very modern and, and efficient. So, so, so we like it that way. Um, Greater Bay has uh, good connections in China with the shipyards and, and we hope that we'll be able to develop this joint venture and potentially over time acquire or build uh, additional tonnage within the, the joint venture so that we can continue to develop it. So, so we are actively scouting for, for new opportunities to do more uh, within the joint venture. So now that we are on the topic of joint ventures, let me go to the other joint venture that you have. You have a 50-50 JV with enterprise product uh, partners for the ethylene export terminal at Morgan's Point. So I find it fascinating. Uh, tell us a little bit about the complementarity and synergy between the terminal and your maritime transportation business? Yes, um, we're quite happy with the joint ventures we have uh, right now and, and particularly fund of uh, the Greater Bay joint venture and, and also the one we have with enterprise uh, product partners for, for sure. Um, it has also been developed over a number of years. The terminal uh, started uh, exporting ethylene uh, back in, in 2020 and it's really lived up to its its potential enterprise is a world-class on-land pipeline operator uh, so so they surely bring a great expertise into to, to pipeline uh, management and, and what we bring here is the the global shipping capabilities so we are really entirely complementary uh, in the skills that we bring to the joint venture that's of course key uh, in, in in this the joint venture has offtake contracts covering about 94% of the throughput as, as it is right now. Um, and that means that the joint venture has direct customer relationship to the largest global ethylene cargo owners. And that's of course a, a big interest and, and benefit uh, to us so that we can position our fleet to, to optimize the supply chain. And that means that we can deliver a seamless and uninterrupted ethylene flow to the benefit of the customers. So it's really a win-win here that, that we are able to uh, coordinate the transportation uh, in, in a seamless manner to make sure that the, the customers uh, see this virtual pipeline of, of ethylene flowing out of Houston, out of uh, uh, Texas and, and on to, to Europe and, uh, and Asia uninterrupted. So, uh, we think it works really well both for the joint venture and particularly for the customers. So as I understand, this particular infrastructure investment ties directly into your maritime business because it enhances and optimizes your, uh, your maritime transportation. Absolutely. So we can make sure that there's no waiting time that, that the, the customer can 
moved the, the uh, ethylene exactly when they, they need to, then there are no delays, there's no excess time uh, or wasted time during the offloading, unloading uh, processes. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's really a, an opportunity for us to, to coordinate it through the entire supply chain uh, to the benefit of the customers. And Mats, if I'm not mistaken, this is one uh, of the uh, differentiating factor of competitive advantage compared to other peers who are operating in this business who do not have uh, a similar infrastructure investment. Yeah, I mean, the, the terminal is, is, is very unique. It is uh, by far the world's largest uh, ethylene export terminal. So you don't really see any other uh, similar setups. So so it's, it's it means that we can have that, that efficiency uh, and, and also uh, us being the largest uh, handy size uh, gas tanker owner, that, that we can make sure that the tonnage is, is always, uh, the vessels are there when they need to be. So uh, so it's a win-win it's, it's for all parts. And uh, this uh, uh, ethylene export terminal right now is uh, undergoing an expansion. I also saw that you're considering other infrastructure investments, uh, as you mentioned. So tell us a little bit about the expansion, maybe other ideas that you have in the infrastructure investments. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very important and, and exciting expansion that we're looking at right now. As I mentioned before, we are running at 94% uh, contract coverage. So it's pretty much uh, running at uh, nameplate capacity uh, all the time. Uh, and that there is more uh, ethylene in, in North America to be exported, and therefore we need to make sure that there's an outlet for it. Hence, we are expanding the, uh, the ethylene export terminal. Uh, the construction is is underway as we speak. It was uh, announced and, and and started earlier this year, and and we will be increasing the existing one million tons of capacity to at least one point five five million tons, so so fifty five percent increase, but potentially all the way up to 3 million tons. So potentially a tripling of the current capacity. And that's, of course, a very significant uh, expansion, you could say, of the, of the potential global uh, seaborne uh, ethylene. Uh, we are expecting to invest $125 million of, of our cash uh, in, in contributions to, to this investment and matched again. Uh, by enterprise, so it will continue to be a 50-50 a joint venture. Um, so, so of course, this this means that that there will potentially be a lot more ethylene uh, exported going forward, and uh, we now have a, a world-class uh, efficient outlet to to do that. We we plan on on funding the investment from our own resources from for now. Uh, we might decide at, at a later stage to, to debt finance part of it, but so far we have started paying it from, from own uh, resources. And yeah, the long lead items have been ordered already and the construction is uh, expected to be completed and fully operational by Q4-24. So it's pretty soon. I mean, it's, it's already in a little bit more than a, a year's time. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the... Uh... Uh, the chartering strategy that you have, I understand that you're using a different strategy for LPG maybe versus ethylene that might be more spot oriented versus LPG more charter oriented. So take us through the mix of uh, the uh, deployment strategies that you have. Yeah, so so there are, there are different strategies for the different uh, types of cargoes. Uh, ammonia is typically a time charter market. So in most situations, there would be a customer who says, okay, I have a need to 
to transport ammonia for the next 12 months, uh, can we lease your ship uh, so that Navigator continues to to operate the ship in the sense that 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 we will provide the crewing and and the maintenance of the vessel and so on. But it's it's basically the customer who decides where the ship goes and, and what it loads and, and and so on. So that's a, a time chart, and that means that we are secured that there will be a monthly payment for 12 months, uh, and and we know exactly that it's going to be fully deployed for that that period of time. Um, the vessel needs to be cleaned up after having. Uh, uh, transported ammonia before it moves on and takes other types of cargo. So that's why it's not very suitable, uh, the, the, the ammonia market for, for, for spot voyages. It, it's, it's quite the opposite when it comes to, to ethylene. That is typically a spot voyage market, and that means that it'll be cargo by cargo. There's a customer who has a need to, to transport, let's say, 10,000 tons of, of ethylene out of, of Houston and to, to Asia, and, and we will then offer our vessel and we will uh, arrange uh, adequate pricing for, for, for that journey. So, so that's really the difference between the two. Uh, LPG can, can, can be both. What we typically like to do is to have a, a mix of uh, time charter and of spot voyages so that we can have both uh, some stability in our earnings, but also make sure that when the market is strong, that we are able to take advantage of, of, of tightness in the market and, and get a better rate in, at spot journeys. And right now we like a mix, which is typically 40-60, so 40% uh, time charter and 60% spot over the coming 12 months or so. So, uh, so, so we have the, the best of all worlds. Uh, we have pretty low financial risk in our balance sheet. We don't have so, so much debt, uh, and that allows us to be flexible and, and take more, you could say, operational risk and, and seeking out the opportunities in, in the spot market. And, we really think that investors are investing in Navigator to get a gas tanker market exposure and, and not so much uh, financial risk. And that means that we like to lean it that way, low financial risk, but, but, but take the opportunities and, and the, the, uh, the, 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 the good pricing that we can achieve in the spot market at the same time. So you opened the door to the next question about um, liquidity, balance sheet strength. Um, I mean, you have a lot of liquidity. You have... Uh, 190 million uh, of liquidity on or cash at the end of March this year. Um, your uh, net debt to capitalization is down to 37%. Uh, so fairly strong uh, balance sheet. What is next in terms of targets for leverage and? Uh, yeah. So no, we uh, during the, the the fourth quarter of, of 2022 and into Q1 of, of 23, we completed uh, three refinancings. Um, and that means that the next uh, maturity or refinancing that we have, that will be in, in 2025. So that's a very comfortable situation that, that we don't have any refinancing risk uh, for, for, you could say, the, the next two years or so. Um, and that feels good. We have a relatively low uh, debt to, to capital ratio. Uh, and we also have a, a net debt to EBITDA of just 3.6 times. So we think that's a, that's a comfortable position. At the one hand, we are getting the benefit of having inexpensive loan capital on our balance sheet, but only in a in a in a reasonable amount that gives us the flexibility I, I just talked about. Uh, combined with a yeah robust uh, cash position, that gives us also the opportunity to um, uh, seek out uh, new projects, uh, growth opportunities, and of course also reward shareholders. So so I think it gives the flexibility that that we like to have, uh, so that we can. Uh, time our our investments uh, 
at, at the same time. So now that moves us to the next topic of capital allocation. Uh, the usual uh, destinations for capital allocation is fleet renewal, debt reduction, and then uh, you know dividends uh, and buybacks. So how yeah. do you allocate? What is your overall plan when it comes? I mean, you you just announced uh, a new capital return uh, policy. So if you can take us through that, yeah, no, it was great, and it was a it was a first time for 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 Navigator. In the past, we haven't been returning uh, capital to to the shareholders uh, until you could say the the end of last year when we announced and initiated our first fifty million dollars share buyback program. Uh, that's program we executed on in during the first quarter of, of the year into the second one and in May we announced that we had completed the uh, the initial 50 million dollar buyback and uh, repurchased uh, 3.8 million uh, shares at an average price of just over 13 dollars per share so we think that was a good deal for the uh, remaining shareholders that, that we bought back shares at, a, at an attractive price and, and hence strengthened uh, their return but we of course not going to stop there and um, we have announced a, a new uh, 25 million dollar share buyback authorization and in con in that same context also uh, a new return of capital policy which includes a fixed quarterly cash dividend of, of five cents per share uh, starting with the uh, second quarter 23 results and that means that we'll be uh, also adding you could say a uh, uh, return of capital of, of at least 25% of our adjusted net income. So, so whenever our quarterly adjusted EPS is more than uh, 20 cents, we'll be uh, paying additional capital to the shares in form of either dividend or additional share buyback. So um, here we will of course have use uh, our discretion, you could say, to, to see whether we should be uh, paying dividends or buying back shares. And that depends on, on how our shares are priced relative to, to uh, net asset value. So all in all, I think it, it provides a, a good stable return uh, to, to the shareholders and uh, more upside, you could say, if, if our uh, results allow it. Thank you. So let's move now to the last uh, part of our discussion on the um, outlook of uh, LPG and all the other products we're carrying. So let, let's start with the LPG sector. If you can take us through the North American natural gas liquids production, the LPG exports, what are the main drivers for demand? Yeah, LPG is a, it's a very versatile commodity. It can be used in both the chemical industry and it can be used in, in energy. Uh, I, I guess for, for most of us, we would be uh, using it in, in the barbecue in, in, in the garden, but of course it has many other applications as well. But in, in developing countries, it's a great substitute for wood and for coal in, in cooking and, and heating. So it, it has a, a variety of benefits in terms of improving air quality, but also being an, an efficient energy to, to, to use. Uh, in the US, the production of LPG has grown quite steadily from about 140 million barrels in, in 2029 to 180 million uh, barrels right now. So it's grown pretty fast. Um, but at the same time, domestic demand in the US is, is pretty stable. So the surplus has to be exported. And, and that means that the export from, from North America has pretty much doubled in the same period. Uh, when we look at the LPG, it's, it's very competitive compared to, to the price of oil. So we, we are 
pretty optimistic that the uh, export of, of LPD out of North America into the rest of the world is, is, is going to continue. And, and I guess you can see it, it well reflected also in the rates of the very large gas carriers at the current point in time. I mean, they are, they are pretty robust. So, so there's a lot of LPD flowing out of North America at this point in time. So I wanted to ask you, uh, in the new energy landscape that we have right now, with uh, the West uh, trying to distance itself from Russian energy sources, has created a completely different landscape for energy. And the word of energy security now has come to be part of the agenda. Yeah, sure. Uh, LPG plays uh, an important role here also. Uh, it's, a, it's a great energy source and it, it supplements LNG, you could say, uh, as, as in, in, in the use of energy. Uh, both LPG and LNG have, have great demand outlooks uh, as export commodities from, from the US. So uh, I think we're going to continue to see that trend uh, that uh, particularly uh, Europe, uh, but also other countries are looking to uh, secure their future energy supply. And, and here uh, the US production, the US uh, energy is, is very attractively priced. And it's also uh, something that we we all dare to, to rely on for, for a long period of time. So uh, I think that outlook is, is, is very robust and, and as, as new structure that is we're seeing now that is, is here to stay. Do you see more uh, cargos going to Europe? Yeah, I think we'll con continue to see uh, a, a lot of uh, exports out of the US into Europe. So now let's go to ammonia and, uh, and ethylene, which are other major uh, products. Yes. We'll see the outlook there. Yeah. Um, today, ammonia is mainly used for fertilizer. So it grows with the food production and population growth in, in general. Um, I think the future is going to be quite different for ammonia because ammonia uh, will uh, diversify. It will be, become used in, in, in other areas as well. Most importantly, it has very high potential to become a future fuel for shipping. Um, it's also uh, a good candidate for low emission energy uh, as a source for, for power stations where it can be replacing, for instance, coal in a number of uh, Asian uh, power companies have expressed interest in using ammonia to, to lower the emissions from their, their power production. So that means that the growth prospects for uh, ammonia is, is very, very significant. Here and, and they will most uh, certainly uh, a great proportion of, of the produced uh, volumes will be transported by sea. So we're not talking about, you could say, uh, a low percentage of growth going forward. I mean, we'll see a doubling or tripling of, of the total seaborne volumes that will be uh, transported uh, when it comes to ammonia. So here, the, uh, the short, the mid and the long-term outlook for for growth in ammonia transportation is, 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 is very good. When it comes to uh, ethylene, uh, also here, uh, the outlook is, is, is quite robust. Demand for sea transportation is pretty much dependent or determined by the cost spread of ethylene between uh, the US on one hand and, and Asia, Europe on the other hand. Um, the US production of ethylene is very price competitive because of the uh, input material being ethane becoming being produced very very competitively uh, in 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 the US, so that'll continue to to be the case. Nobody can really match the production cost in in, in North America. So there's uh, 
a real good opportunity for a major supply-driven uh, volume growth where the production and now additional export capacity with the terminal that we are building together with uh, enterprise, that there will be a lot more uh, ethylene flowing out of uh, North America and replacing uh, uh, other input uh, commodities to, to the chemical industry in, in Asia and Europe. So you are quite optimistic overall on the demand side for the cargoes you're carrying. Let's now move to the supply side uh, on the fleet side. So the, the, the handy size segment has a very modest order book. Yes. Uh, can you tell us how you see the order book developing? What is the impact in the overall supply demand balance? And with the new regulations coming in, the environmental regulations, what impact do you think that will have on the fleet? Yeah. And um, for sure, there is virtually no order book when it comes to handy-sized gas carriers or, or smaller gas tankers. And, and that's, of course, uh, very important because with the uh, order book today uh, and, and also the lead times that we're seeing at the yards that are very busy building LNG ships and building container ships, if you are to order a new vessel today, you may be able to get delivery let's say sometime mid 2026. So that means that between now and mid 2026, there's virtually no risk of more supply of handy-sized gas carriers or smaller gas carriers. It, it is a little bit different for, for the larger ship size, but again, as I explained in, in the beginning, that, that they are mainly built for, for LPG and, and in, in, to, to some extent in the smaller, uh, to a smaller extent in the, the ammonia. Uh, so, so, so the risk that there will be additional capacity flowing in, uh, particularly for the ethylene, is, is virtually uh, non-existent. If you add to that that about 20% of the uh, handy-sized smaller gas tankers today are more than 20 years of age, uh, that means that there will be some uh, scrapping happening over the next couple of years. Um, and, and these older ships that are more than 20 years of age, they're really not suitable for, for customers in our segment. So, so there's, a, to some extent, you could say, a, a, a tightening of the supply-demand balance uh, in, in our shipping segments uh, going to happen between now and 2026. And it will only be as exacerbated by the environmental requirements, as you mentioned, because there will be some of the less efficient ships that will be required to use uh, power limitations that they will have to uh, to sail at a, at a lower speed uh, in, in the coming years that they have been able to in the past. And that, of course, also takes capacity out of the market. Thank you. So, Max, we have come pretty much to the end of our discussion. Is there a question that I have missed uh, that could be important for shareholders to be aware of, a navigator? And the yeah, I mean, we, we talked about uh, a lot about the the, the, the market to today and, and the, the outlook for the next year. So, and, and that is, of course, the starting point and the most important point. But, but I think also taking a slightly longer uh, view at things, it's very, very important for me and for Navigator that our business is sustainable, in literally sustainable. And, and that means that... Uh, we have taken the ESG uh, work that we're doing and the sustainability work that we do very, very seriously. It's a central part of our corporate strategy because it means that uh, fossil fuel transportation, it may run for several years, uh, not for many years, but it does have an expiry date. 
And we want to be sure that our corporate strategy ensures that Navigator does not have an expiry date. Our business mix will gradually transition towards low or zero emission cargoes so that we are able to, to grow and develop even if uh, fossil cargoes will be diminishing over time. So in, in essence, that means that we will provide the transparency around our emissions. We will be setting targets for bringing it down and we'll devise the strategy for, for doing so. And then eventually we will of course deliver on, on, on that strategy. So we are preparing for the uh, near future, the, the mid future and also the, the long future. And here I think we are in a quite unique situation within the whole shipping segment that we are actually you know, beneficiaries for, for seeing this whole energy transition that's going to happen uh, because the growth areas like green, blue, ammonia and CO2 transportation, they fit very well within the competencies we have. And uh, we also have the, uh, the, the vessels uh, that, that, that are able to, to transport some of these commodities. So I think it looks good on, on all three uh, horizons. And uh, that's, of course, what uh, our whole ESG work is uh, centered around. And then on top of that, I don't know if you saw that recently, we, we made the first shipping diversity-linked financing uh, together with uh, ABN AMRO, Nadia, and BNP. And of course, this is not something that's going to make or break our company, but it's something that is important for us that we also participate in, 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 in driving other agendas and not only the energy transition, but making sure that we have a a strong organization that we have the best talent pool uh, to, to pick from. And, and here we think that diversity is, is an important one to, to focus on. Thank you. Well, actually, you, you, you're very correct to point all these out because ESG is comprised of three letters, environment, social, and governance. So a lot of the discussion because of the uh, decarbonization and so on tends to be on environment. So it's very good to see exactly that you have very specific initiatives in the other areas as well uh, on the overall ESG uh, concept. So, well done. Yeah, no, we can we can have a long discussion around that because it is uh, very important to, to me and, and to our company. And, and we have uh, quite significant efforts in, in all three letters, uh, both the ES and G, and we think the governance one is, is, over, uh, is often overlooked. But, uh, but as a shipping company, it is super important for us that we have a very, very strong uh, governance framework so that the investors can, can, can feel good that, that we are taking, we are good stewards of, of, of the company uh, on, in, in that context as well. And with that, I think we have reached the end of our discussion. I'd like to thank you very much. We had the, the privilege to have uh, Max Peter Zacco, the uh, CEO of Navigator Gas. Thank you, Max, for being with us and having this very uh, insightful discussion. Super. Thanks a lot, Nicholas. It was my pleasure. Thank you.